that cry. Crying is so natural when we first come into this world. But crying is not so natural. It's not so natural in spiritual life. What, what do we do? What, what do you do when, when we are in desperate, when we are difficult or desperate situations? When troubles come into your life or, and, and you become maybe full of fear? I'm not asking what you know you should do. We know what we should do. We should pray. We should cry to the Lord for, for help. But, but is that what you do do? Don't we have to confess that it's not really our natural tendency, at least, at least not all the time. Our, our tendency so often is to rely on ourselves until the last possible minute. Maybe it's because we don't think we need the Lord's answer. We think we have the resources in ourselves to deal with the situation, whatever it is, and, and so we, we rely on ourselves. Or, or perhaps we, we think we cannot be sure of the Lord's answer. We're not sure He will even hear our prayers and our cries. Or maybe we think His answer, even if He does hear us, His answer won't be enough. His answer won't be sufficient. And so instead of relying on God, we continue to rely on ourselves. And, and usually the longer this goes on, the harder it is to, to give up. The longer it goes on, the more we don't want to admit defeat. We don't want to admit that we need God. And just when we may be finally forced to admit it, perhaps Satan comes and he whispers, It's no use crying to the Lord anyway. He wouldn't answer a sinner like you. Well, congregation, our text, Psalm 34, this six, verse 6, this afternoon assures us, assures us otherwise. Listen to what it says there, Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Well, we want to do this this afternoon, with the Lord's help, is to consider this text under the theme, The Lord's Answer to, the, to a Poor Man's Cry. And we look at, we'll look at this theme under three points. The, an answer so needed, an answer so, so gracious, and an answer so all-sufficient. So first of all, the Lord's answer to a poor man's cry, it's an answer so needed. We see this in the first part of our text where it says, This poor man cried. Now, who, who is this poor man? Well, it's David. David's the author of the psalm, as the title tells us, and, and he's referring to himself here. Now, maybe that's a little bit surprising, because I, I don't know about you, but I don't usually think of David as a poor man. Now, it's true, David's writing. He's writing about a time when he was not yet king. But, but David, at this point in his life especially, he certainly, he certainly had a lot going for him. He was a young man in his 20s, about. He was strong. He was handsome. He was full of, of life and energy. He was a brave and wise shepherd. He was a talented musician and poet. He was a skilled warrior. He was a highly respected Israelite general under King Saul and a terror to Israel's enemies, the Philistines. He was married into the royal family. And David had even been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. David had so, so much. 
So why is he in this psalm here speaking of himself this way? This poor man cried. What, what brought David to describe himself this way? Well, David was in a desperate situation. The title informs us that the psalm it's a psalm that was written, uh, written about a time when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and, and he departed. In that story, as we, we read it, that account is found in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. There David is on the run. His best friend Jonathan had just confirmed to him that his father, King Saul, who had become jealous and suspicious of David, was intent on killing him. And so David was understandably afraid. We would be in the same, same boat. And, and in fear and in desperation, David then left the land of Israel with a few loaves of bread and, and the sword apparently of Goliath, the Philistine giant whom he had killed. And he leaves Israel and he goes to a Philistine city. He actually goes to the city of Gath, which, by the way, was Goliath's hometown. Perhaps... Perhaps he hoped the Philistines would think that he was defecting from Saul and maybe give him protection, but, but he quickly found out he was wrong. His going to Gath was like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. The servants of Achish, we were told in 1 Samuel, they, they, they recall that David was the one who had slaughtered their army. They even call him king of the land. Now here he is, all alone and in their hands. In today's language, we might say that David is nearly a goner. He's nearly a goner. He has basically dug his own grave. He's now totally at Achish's mercy. And, and David, what does he do? He panics. He panics. And he pretends to be insane. First Samuel 21 verse 13 says that he changed his behavior before, before them. He, he, he feigned himself mad. He pretended madness in their hands. And he scratched on the doors of the gate and let the, the spit, the saliva fall down on his beard. This is David. This is David. What a desperate, humilia humiliating situation he's in. Suddenly his Goliath's victory doesn't seem so great. It teaches us that the lives of God's anointed, the lives of God's anointed people, the lives of God's anointed king isn't always easy. We know that was true for the son of David too, don't we? But, but God used this situation to reveal to David something far more desperate, far more desperate than his situation. It's a spiritual condition. You see, David, David was the man after God's own heart. We were told that in, in, earlier on in 1 Samuel. He was the man who by faith not only killed lions and bears with his hands, but he was the man who by faith with only a sling and a stone had killed Goliath. A Philistine giant. He was the man to whom God had promised the kingdom of Israel. But when Saul's murderous hatred seemed to threaten not merely God's promise, but David's very life, David becomes afraid. And his fear is very understandable. But the problem is that instead of bringing that fear to the Lord, instead of crying out to the Lord, he allowed his fear, he allowed his fear to control him. So that he gave way to unbelief and, and, and to self-reliance. Even when he goes to Ahimelech, the priest. We didn't read that, but just before the passage in 1 Samuel that we read, 
We're, we're told that he goes, he flees to Ahimelech the priest, and, but, but we see there that his focus, his focus is more on bread and on weapons than on the Lord. He puts his trust more in Goliath's sword than in God's word. He relies more on his own plan than on God's promises and his providence. And the end result was this trip to Gath that almost ended in disaster and death. It was a trip that reduced him to pretending insanity for the sake of his own life. Now, we, we may want to, we, we tend to want to criticize David here maybe for, for, for making such a choice. Why did he, I mean, why did he go to Gath, of all places, with the sword of Goliath in his hand? Why did he make such a foolish choice? But is David's trip to Gath really all that unfamiliar? Haven't you ever been there? Maybe you've never been reduced to pretending insanity, but haven't you at times relied on yourself instead of on God? It can begin so subtly, especially when, when like David, you enjoy so many outward blessings. When life is going well, you may be young, maybe. You may be strong and healthy. Maybe you have a promising career. Maybe you have many talents. You, you're good at your job. You get it done and you get it done well. You may have a good reputation even in, even in the church. You may have a respected position even or calling in the church. It's an office bearer or a Sunday school teacher or something else. All these things, they can be wonderful blessings. But they can also slowly, little by little, make us less dependent on God and more dependent on ourselves. So that slowly, little by little, we, we begin to forget or, or perhaps a better, uh, better way of looking at it is maybe that we refuse to remember God's promises. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you didn't realize it at first. It can be hard to recognize when this is happening so slowly and so gradually. But then perhaps the Lord brought some trouble and, and some trial or some test of faith. And, and what did you do? Maybe you panicked. You tried to control and manipulate things to try and make things work out, perhaps even at the cost of obedience to God. And maybe, maybe you ended up in Gath. Maybe you ended up in a, in a worse situation than you were even before it all happened. Could be you're here this afternoon and you're at Gath right now, perhaps on your way. God has placed a test in your life, maybe. It might not be persecution like David faced. It could be grief. It could be loneliness. It could be family challenges. Or it could be workplace stresses and financial pressures. Whatever it is, it has is, is, is caused stress and you've, you've responded in, 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 in fear and, in, 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 and you've been relying on yourself like David. You've let your fear control you. You've been relying on something in yourself or something in the world and, and maybe there's little or no sign of the spirituality of the godliness of the faith you thought you once had. You've been stripped like David at this point in his life, stripped of all your resources and you're here maybe even this afternoon, you're sitting, you're sitting here stripped of your self-righteousness, of all that you thought you had. You're stripped. And you're sitting here as a poor man or a poor woman, or boy, or girl. What should you do? What did David do? What did David do? 
this poor man cried. David cried to the Lord. The Lord, you see, brought David to the end of himself. Why? In order to teach him to pray, to teach him to cry. Robert Murray McChain, he suffered often in his life from attacks of fever and After recovering from one of these attacks, he wrote a poem, and in one verse he he praises God, he says, who he writes, first by his kindness and then by his rod, would teach us poor sinners to pray. David, you see, he'd come to a point in his life where he needed the rod, and it was a painful and and a humbling, but yet an effective rod for David. It fulfilled God's purpose in bringing him to realize his total, bringing David to realize his total inability to save himself and to lead him to cry, Lord, Lord, save me. He cries and he cries, beloved, he cries as a poor man. He doesn't plead his reputation. He doesn't plead his popularity. He doesn't plead his position. He doesn't plead his rights. He doesn't even plead his anointing. This poor man cried. He threw himself on the mercy of God. He realized he had nothing, nothing to commend himself before God. He said, Lord, help, Lord, save me. And you know, the funny, not the funny thing, the remarkable thing is that David here is a converted man. He's a converted man. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a man of great faith. He had had some amazing spiritual experiences. And yet the Lord taught David here, Again, because it happens when we're first converted, but it happens again and again and again. It needs to happen again and again and again, that we are nothing in ourselves. That's what he taught David, that he's nothing in himself. And that's what we need to learn, even as believers, that we are nothing in and of ourselves. We are always only beggars before God, dependent on grace alone. It's a lesson, as I said, we must learn over and over again, more and more. We are nothing in ourselves. We deserve nothing. Nothing but hell, really. And so to cry out to the Lord. You see, the moment, and we're so prone to this, but the moment we think we are anything in ourselves, right? We we, we maybe think about our, our, our present faith or our past acts of faith or maybe some dramatic spiritual experience we've had. The moment we do that, we are relying on ourselves, not on God. So how thankful we should be. How thankful we should be. The Lord is so willing to teach us this lesson. Painful and humbling as it is. Are you learning it, dear believer? Are you learning it, dear unbeliever? Have you learned it? And are we learning it well? Well, when we do, then you, you see what we, what we realize that we need is, is not so much the Lord's answer, first of all, to an out, our outward troubles, our outward circumstances. But what we need is the Lord's answer to our sin, to our unbelief. And like David then also, to cry, we'll cry out to the Lord. You put your trust, just as David, he cried out to the Lord, not in himself, he forsook himself. You put his trust in the Lord. Is David's cry, is David's cry the cry of your heart? Or has your heart never uttered such a cry? Has the Lord never heard such a cry, a desperate, a humble cry from you? 
Maybe you've, you've just never come to a point where you need it, where you needed him. Do you realize that you're living on the edge of eternity? You're living on the edge of eternity. You need God. You need the Lord. What will it take? You think about what it took for David, for David to bring David to his knees. What will it take to bring you to your knees? What will strip you of your self-reliance and self-righteousness? What will make you poor and cause you with David to cry to the Lord? When will you look at yourself and say, not simply this poor man, but this poor man, this poor woman, this poor girl, this poor boy, cried, cried. Have you? Are we? Do we cry out humbly to the Lord? Uh, maybe you think, the Lord, he won't answer me. I've sinned too long. I've sinned too much. I've done this. I've done that. No, he won't. He can't. Well, that brings us to our second point. The Lord's answer the Lord's answer is not only so needed, it's also so gracious. Psalm 34, verse 6 says that this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. The Lord heard him. And what an encouragement is in just those words, because this, this word translated heard, is, it, it refers to not simply that the Lord heard, the, like the act of hearing, but, but that he listened closely to David's cry with full attention and full compassion. Parents, you know what it's like, don't you, to, when your, your, your child gets hurt and, and they cry, they, 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 they scream in pain, or maybe they're sick, and those cries capture our attention and they draw out our compassion. And that is how the Lord heard David. God didn't ignore David. He didn't listen with curious interest, even though, even though David had been just relying on himself. He didn't... He didn't ignore David. Nobody listened to David and he had compassion on David. Maybe you ask, will God hear my cry that way too? Will he? Will he hear my cry? That's a fair question. But here it's helpful to look at Psalm 34 as a whole. David wrote Psalm 34 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you see, not only, not only to celebrate the Lord's answer to his own cry, but also to encourage others to cry out to him too. You see in verse, verses 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, David exhorts other humble ones or poor ones to magnify the Lord with him. And in verse 5, he says, he's speaking of the humble, they looked unto him, unto the Lord, and were lightened, and they were not ashamed. And in verse 8, David calls us all to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, every man, every person who trusts in him. And, the, and, the, and you keep going in, in the second half of the psalm, it's, it's, it's even put even stronger. You, you see it in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. And verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. You see, the Lord hears. He hears the cries, not just of David, not just of this one poor man in the psalm, but he hears the cries. That's what the psalm is saying. He, he's the Lord who hears the cries of all those poor and needy ones who cry to him. You say, I have nothing to give him. I'm a poor, wretched sinner. I deserve condemnation. Why would the Lord ever hear me? It's because of who he is. You see, the Lord didn't hear David 
because of who David was, but because of who he is. He is the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, the one who is infinitely rich in heaven, the one who needs no one, who needs nothing. He didn't need David. And yet he has revealed himself as a God full of compassion, even for those deserving of condemnation. You know how we know. You know how we know. It's because the Lord himself became a poor man. You think of... You think of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many desperate situations did he not face even even as a baby? Hated, persecuted, having to flee to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill him. He's described in scripture as being without a place to lay his head. We read of him suffering hunger. We read of him in John, the Gospel of John, he came into his own and his own received him not. He was despised. He was was betrayed. And he was unjustly condemned to death. And then you think of the trials that he experienced where he was mocked, where he was scourged, where he was spit upon, where he was stripped and then crucified. Yet through all this, He himself remains sinless, without sin. Even even when they nailed him to the cross, even while he hung there, having been made sin, having been made a curse in the place of sinners, still he relied on God. We sang of that. We sang of that. And he cried out, listen, listen to his cry. As he hung on the cross, crying in a far greater agony than David ever knew when he wrote Psalm 22. My God, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you, can you comprehend that? Not only did he cry, but that cry for three hours went unanswered. It was a cry his father did not hear until his son had fully paid for the sins, all the sins of every one of his people. You see, the one cry, the one and only cry the Lord refused to hear was the cry of his own son as the full weight of all his people's sin and all his father's wrath for those sins bore down on him. And why did he do that? Why did the Lord Jesus do that? Why did the Father refuse to hear his cry at that time? So that we, so that poor people in Gath this afternoon don't have to be afraid that the Lord in his just wrath will refuse to hear your cries. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was the one who was made poor on Golgotha and who willingly satisfied all of the wrath of God. So that we don't have to be afraid. You see, God the Lord, he, invite, he Himself, He invites us, He commands us to call upon Him in the day of trouble. And He promises us, He promises us to hear that call, that He will hear that call and that cry and will deliver us. And His promise cannot change because He is the Lord, the I am that I am, the unchangeable one. It has been sealed, that promise too has been sealed with the blood of His Son. You see, the point, the point is, uh, uh, with this psalm and with the Lord hearing, is to, is to tell us that the Lord in Christ never has 
never is, never has been, never is, and never will be deaf to the cries of any poor person who cries out, who has nothing in themselves. His ear is open to the cry of the righteous, and not because they are righteous in themselves, but because they are righteous in Christ. You see, if you have Christ, this is the wonderful thing. If you have Christ, you always have God's ear. You always have his full attention, his loving care. Wherever you are, in whatever trouble you are, you are in. And I know, I know there's times when we feel like Psalm 22. When we feel like we're crying out to the Lord and our, our cries don't seem to go anywhere. But the Lord calls us to live by faith, not by feelings. If you're looking to Christ, if you're looking to Christ, you're in Christ. If you have fled to Him for refuge, then God, the, the, the Word of God declares, then God is for you. Then God hears you as He hears her to David so long ago. He hears you who are looking to Christ and crying to Him even now, even in all your poverty and your brokenness. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. He hears the cries of the poor and needy, all by his grace, all by his grace, all because of Christ and Christ alone. How sad then and how foolish it is to be without Christ. How sad it is when somebody walks away from Christ and from the church. How sad it is when somebody ignores the calls to come to Christ in repentance and faith. How sad it is when someone refuses to let Christ deal with some sins in their life. How sad it is when, when, we, when, you, when people are like the, 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 the Pharisees who think that they can do without Christ or that they have to add to Christ. How sad that is. When we continue in those ways, beloved, the Lord, we cannot expect the Lord to hear us. He will not answer but if we come to him in and through his beloved son alone, relying on the blood and on the merits of Jesus Christ, he will hear because he loves his son. He loves his son. He will hear. He will pay attention. He will have compassion. And he will answer. And so the, the call then of this text also is, is that we would cry to the Lord by Christ, looking to Him. All who cry to Him, all who come to God by the Lord Jesus Christ are heard and answered. But perhaps, perhaps you are wondering, is the Lord's answer sufficient? Is it sufficient? Will it fully answer my cry? You have all these things going on in your life, maybe. You have all these struggles, spiritual struggles. David answers these questions in the third part of our text. And we come to our third point here. The Lord's answer is so all-sufficient. <clears throat> the text says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and what? And saved him out of all his troubles. That's, that's the answer. That's the answer. He saved him out of all his troubles. It's a full salvation. That's the answer. It's a full salvation because it's a divine salvation. It wasn't the Lord plus David's self-reliance that saved him. And, and here it's what, why it's, it's, it's good to be, to be reading both these chapters. Because when you read 1 Samuel 21, you, just by itself, you might get the impression that David's pretending, his pretending to be insane. 
is, is what ultimately saved him from being killed by King Achish. But, but when David writes about it, that's not what he says. As he looks back on what happened, he says, the Lord saved him. The Lord alone. David understood, you see, that it was not his quick thinking, but it was God's sovereign keeping that saved him from almost certain death. God and God alone was his savior. And, and, and we, we, you know, we experience sometimes similar things just in, in, our, in our regular life on a natural level. Maybe you've experienced a near-fatal accident on the road or at work, but, but by some quick swerve or instinctive reaction, you, you were spared. And you, you recognize, don't you, that that wasn't you. That, that was the Lord. He was taking care of you. And His mercy and His grace. Or, or when we recover from a sickness, even a minor sickness, it's, it's not ultimately the medicines, as, as important as they are, but it's God who saves us. Blessed, what is Psalm 133? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who heals? Who heals? He's the one who heals our diseases. And certainly we must be wise, we must use legitimate means, but at the end of the day, we recognize, don't we, it's not the means that saves us. It's not the means. It's God. It's God. And, and now applying this to, to our greatest need, to our need of salvation from sin, this is, this is good news, beloved. Because if salvation from sin were up to us, even in part, even the tiniest little bit, we would fail miserably. But you see, God has not left us to ourselves. He has not. He sent His Son. He sent His Son. And together with His Son, He has sent the Holy Spirit now to convict of sin and to work repentance and faith toward Him. Salvation, you see, is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. And praise God. Praise God for that. It's a divine salvation. And that makes it then also a complete salvation. It's a salvation out of all our troubles. David repeats that actually several times, three other times in this psalm, in similar ways. Verse 4, verse 4, he says that David, or, or that the Lord, David says, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. In verse 17, he says, the Lord delivers the righteous out of all their troubles. And in verse 19, he says again, the Lord delivers the righteous man out of all his many afflictions. The Lord saves the poor man out of not just one trouble. That's what it's saying. It's not just one trouble, but out of all his many troubles. And what a comfort that is. You know, the word for troubles, it's a broad term. It means oppressions of any kind, distresses, anxieties, needs, afflictions. How many troubles, how many troubles we experience in life, don't we? Our spiritual troubles being the worst. Sin, temptation, lack of assurance, lukewarmness, a tormenting conscience, all these things. But there are also other kinds of troubles. There's, there's mental and emotional troubles that we can suffer from. There's grief, there's panic attacks maybe, anxiety, depression, bipolar, dementia, all these things. There's physical troubles like sickness, arthritis, cancer, disabilities. There can be relational troubles. There can be economic troubles. Maybe your troubles are self-inflicted, a result of your own foolish choices, like it was in David's case, at least in part here. Or maybe they're, they're simply because of life in a fallen world. 
Maybe your troubles are the kind of troubles that we heard about this morning, troubles that result because we're in fact Christians, we're citizens of heaven, and we're being committed to the gospel. Maybe, maybe your troubles have come suddenly with no warning, or maybe they're ongoing troubles, they're, 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 they're chronic, chronic troubles. So many troubles, but out of them all the Lord saves. The Lord, He graciously answers every poor person's cry to Him with a full salvation. Now I know, I know the question maybe in your mind, maybe, well, I still got my troubles. Yeah, we do. It's not always so easy to see or to understand stand when we come to this, this, this passage, is it? How is it that the Lord delivers us? He saves us out of all our troubles. You know, sometimes we may begin to see it when we look back after some time at, at past troubles in our life. And it could be maybe David actually wrote this psalm some years later and, and, and he recognized that what the Lord did for him in Gath, that, well, he, he, he just kept doing that all his life long. And because you read it, you read the, the history, the life of David, he keeps saying it. The Lord, he's redeemed me out of all evil. The Lord, he's redeemed me out of all my troubles. He keeps saying it. And so he sees a pattern here. And, and the, uh, so as we get older and we look back on things, we can, we can see that a little easier perhaps. But, but still, you, you might ask, well, what, what about my unresolved troubles? My troubles right now? What about my child who has turned away from God? What about that trouble that greets you in the morning when you wake up? Or maybe that wakes you up in the middle of the night? How can you say, out of all my troubles, the Lord saved me? Is, is this just blind faith? Is this just denial of reality? Is this just a crutch way to cope with life? No, this is faith. This is faith that believes and rests wholeheartedly in the God who has revealed himself as the all-sufficient Lord and Savior. This is faith that has learned to see things from God's perspective. You see, from God's perspective, his salvation is definitive. It's decisive. Because God doesn't do a half job. It might seem like it to us at times. Because we, we who believe as we live here in this present life, we are living through the process of salvation. Yes, we're saved when we believe and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're not, yet, we're not yet glorified. We're justified, but we're not yet glorified. But dear congregation, our text is reminding us then that God's salvation is a complete salvation. It must be. It must be because it is a salvation that was purchased by Christ who said when he was on the cross, it is finished. And that means... That means that all sins are forgiven. That's why Psalm 34, verse 22, the last verse of the psalm we read, says what it says. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of them, none of them, a trust in him shall be desolate. None of them shall be condemned. Do you see, when, when you've experienced that, by grace, of forgiveness of sin, of salvation, of justification, being declared righteous. When the Lord has done that in your life, and with Christ's blood, He has freed you from guilt and condemnation, and from slavery to sin, and from death and Satan. When by His Spirit, the Lord has given you new life in Christ. When He has so loved you in Christ. And this is the thing, that, that all, all your other troubles, as, as painful as they are and, and remain, 
they most certainly lose their troubling power. As Romans 8 so powerfully points out, when you have been redeemed, when you belong to Christ, then nothing, nothing can ever undo that. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness, no peril, no sword, no death, no life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no, no things present, present troubles, no things to come, future troubles, no height, no depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And more than that, even in that chapter 2, it says that in all our troubles, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Because you know what the Lord does? He makes all our troubles that he, in his wisdom and love, sovereignly appoints for us. Subservient to our salvation. They become his sanctifying tools. We might not always understand how, but that's okay. See, our salvation doesn't rest in our understanding. It rests in the perfect understanding of the Lord, of the one who has promised to answer every poor man's cry with full salvation. You see what a, what a glorious answer the Lord's answer is, what a gospel answer it is? You may be the poorest sinner in the world. But that is no obstacle. That is no obstacle to the Lord's willingness and ability to save you, even to the uttermost. Won't you then cry out to the Lord in faith? Won't you rely on Him also in all of your troubles? I want to close with, first of all, a word of warning. And secondly, a word of encouragement. First of all, a word of warning. What if you refuse to cry to the Lord? What if you die with, without ever crying out to the Lord? And you need to know that there is awful trouble. There is awful trouble coming for you. I don't know what your trouble is. I don't know all of your troubles. Some of, some of you I know. If you never learn to cry out to the Lord in faith, looking to Jesus Christ, it may seem maybe like you have little trouble or no troubles here, but it won't last. It won't last. And even the troubles that you do experience will pale in comparison to the troubles that you will experience there because then God will come in judgment. And for all those who never cried out to the Lord, who never humbled themselves and considering their need of Him, the Bible makes very clear there will be eternal trouble. None of you will go there, I hope. Then you will cry. You will cry there in torment under the judgment, the righteous judgment of God. But the Lord will never hear you. He'll never hear you. He will never answer you with any salvation at all. It's a word of warning. Cry out to him now. 
while it is still the day of grace. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of salvation. Now a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement. To those of you who have, by grace, learned to cry to the Lord. It could be you're, you, you hear this and you just feel so discouraged because it seems, it seems so hard. It seems so hard, doesn't it, sometimes? Salvation, that full salvation, out of all our troubles, seems so long in coming. The encouragement is that it will come. It will come because one day the Lord will return and all the troubles of every one of his people will be gone, gone, gone forever. And then we will experience in full the Lord's answer to our cries. And we will look back on our lives and, and I imagine we'll, we'll come across David, King David, there in heaven. And we'll say to him, David, you were right. This poor man cried. This poor woman cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then we'll turn with David to the great captain of our salvation. We'll bow the knee and throw our crowns at his feet and praise him and serve him forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.